Good morning. So, we are back to the Diamond Sutra, hopefully finishing up today. Chapter 31. And how so, Subhuti, if someone should claim that the Tathagata speaks of a view of a self, or that the Tathagata speaks of a view of a being, a view of a life, a view of a soul, Subhuti, would such a claim be true? And Subhuti said, no, indeed, Bhagavan, no, indeed, Sugata, such a claim will not be true. Why not? Bhagavan, when the Tathagata speaks of a view of a self, the Tathagata speaks of it as no view. Thus, it is called a view of a self. The Buddha said, indeed, Subhuti, so it is. Those who set forth on the Bodhisattva path know, see, and believe all dharmas, but no see and believe them without being attached to the perception of Dharma. And why not? The perception of a Dharma, Subhuti, the perception of a Dharma is said by the Tathagata to be no perception. Thus, it is called the perception of a Dharma. So I want to go back to what Bill Porter says about this and begin from there. Nothing is real. From the Buddha's begging bowl universe, we come back to the belief that prevents a true perception of a bowl of rice or anything else. The belief in the existence of a self, from which our belief in a being, a life and a soul are derived, as well as our belief in dharmas. The Buddha tells us, that to understand the true nature of any entity, whether that entity is a self, a dharma, or even a Buddha, we must not be binded by our own perception of it. It is not the myriad atoms of dust or the billion world universe that prevents us from attaining enlightenment, but our own mistaken views of such things as separate or permanent as somehow real. But on closer examination, these entities turn out to be rather arbitrary views of reality founded on nothing more than linguistic conventions, which are themselves the detritus of previously established arbitrary views. And all of these views can be traced back to our view of a self. Thus, the Buddha returns to the view that began the, this sutra, setting forth on our daily rounds with an empty bowl and bestowing this teaching on those we meet. So I'd like to spend a little time on that to begin with that. So the belief of the existence of a self, which is essentially the beginning and the end. So last week I mentioned something along the lines of uh, in the Teisho that uh, you are the one who creates the complications and you are the one that holds the key to liberation. And what we mostly encounter in our lives is actually our own perception of what we see or perceptions of what we see and hear. 
it's really not what's going on, but it is very much what's going on for us, right? Because we have a very self-centered, uh, self-concerned way of uh, interacting with reality, of uh, having a relationship with reality or other people. So are we hearing what's really going on or are we hearing what we think or are we encountering our perception? Only our perception of what's going on, whether we hear it or see it. And what he's saying here, that line, um, that what prevents us from attaining enlightenment is our mistaken view of things as separate or permanent as something real, something that exists statically, or someone like me that exists statically separated from everything around us. So let's begin there. How do you experience it? How do you experience reality? Other people, life. Okay, Rezan, you read. Good morning, everyone. Oh. Um, I think moment to moment, uh, that we uh, have these constructions moment to moment. And, um, in order to deal with the moment, we need the constructions, but the constructions aren't, have no more reality than the moment in which we use them. So there's nothing, there's nothing enduring or permanent or substantial, but for the moment, um, it's um, what we need to, to interact in that moment. Um, and, um, yeah, it's the upaya of the moment that these um, concepts relate to. So the upaya of the moment is available, yet uh, we get stuck uh, again and again in our perception of what's happening. Right. So if we if if there is a veil of perception, that that is all we see. Uh, upaya may be there, but it may not be available. Up upaya has everything to do with, uh, with that dynamic sense of being, right? It has to do with, not with me, but with what needs to be done. Or with, in, in a way, with how I need to manifest, how do I need to manifest in this moment, as you said, moment by moment. Right. Okay, so to hear to hear the way I need to manifest, I need to pay attention not to my perceptions, but to reality itself. So I need to shift my, my attention from my own, from my perception of reality, which may be predominant or predominantly what I see, to what's happening, right? And in that, there is a, a, a huge aspect of letting go. Because if I'm vested in my perceptions of reality, I don't want to let it go. Because that will be akin to 
dying in a way. Right? That will be the same as giving up on me. Giving up on, not only on me, but giving up on the way the past manifests through me now or karma manifests through me now. But that's, that's the gate. Isn't it? Yeah, I think the self that's only... Um, the self that's only there for the moment is... Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, it seems to be a much more connected self in the first place, so that the, the need to have my perceptions or that notion of a possession of of what it is that you're um, um, carrying as you go along, there's there's not as much that you're carrying. Um, mm-hmm. That it's a um, a lighter self or something like that. It's not such a um, uh, the self itself isn't so present. Um, yes, a lighter and moving self, and as long as the self is moving then the perception is not fixed. The perception moves with it and maybe on the go disintegrates, right? It disintegrates because the perception cannot survive. If, if there is flow, if we are moving, the perception cannot survive. Right? Because right. No, perception is static. Right. That's what the self is about, that self. Yeah. Um, Dynamic self, the moving self, the light self, the moment self. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to keep reading a little bit, a few more quotes, and then uh, see if anybody else wants to chime in. Vasubandhu, it is not the negation of atoms or dharmas that results in enlightenment, but the negation of our belief in them. We're not negating anything, but what we are negating is the belief in something static, fixed, not changing, whether it's me or reality. The belief in me, the belief in you as static, the belief in reality is something something static. John Ming titles this chapter, Not Giving Birth to Concepts and Views. Not Giving Birth to Concepts and Views. Well, not giving birth uh, is not, does not mean not encountering concepts and views, because obviously we do encounter, but it's not attaching ourselves to what we, to the, the views and concepts that we, we encounter in our minds. Huineng, the four views are all false, thus they are called the four views. Thus follows a chapter on not giving birth to concepts and views. And this is the, the view of a self being a life and a soul, the four views. Wang Po, if you want to become a Buddha, don't learn a single teaching of the Buddhas. Do not learn anything. Do not accumulate or acquire anything. Just learn to seek and not to cling. Sorry, not to seek and not to cling. By not seeking, thoughts are not born. By not clinging, thoughts do not die. Again, by not seeking, thoughts are not born. By not clinging, thoughts do not die. So not seeking, 
not seeking, in a way we can uh, compare that or see that in, in Zazen, during Zazen, we are, or at least the instruction is, just sit there, right? And just sit there, you're not seeking. Now, not seeking, it doesn't mean you do not encounter passing thoughts. Thoughts about self, thoughts about reality, any thought. They come and go. You don't seek. You lose interest. They, come, they are allowed to come and go freely. Right? Thoughts are not born. And by not clinging, thoughts do not die. So when thoughts arise, we do not cling. We do not cling. Well, there is nothing to let go of. There is nothing to be let go of if we don't cling. What is not born and what does not die is the Buddha. What is not born and what does not die. If it is born, meaning if we attach to it, it is born by us attaching to it, and then we try to eliminate it. We think it's an obstacle. Well, it becomes an obstacle. We become the obstacle then maybe what we want to do is what, the, what's, what Subhuti wanted to do, to, to go against the body, to negate the body, right? To negate the self. But then again, how do we negate what is not there to begin with? And the answer to that is do not cling. Do not attach. By not attaching, we don't give our energy to the thought to the concept, to the perception. And we, when we don't give our energy to it, it subsides naturally. When we do give our energy to it, it actually, it becomes alive. It takes life. It takes a form. It takes speech. It takes action. Right? The three poisons, greed, anger, and ignorance, how do they manifest? Through my thoughts, speech, and action. That's how they come to life. But that's how they are, that's how they end life as well, right? By becoming aware of how the three poisons manifest, we keep our mouth shut. We don't allow it to take over the mouth. We don't allow it to take over the eyes, the ears, the hands, the body. As we say, do not think the thoughts. Do not think the thoughts or non-thinking. Practice non-thinking. So another uh, paragraph I want to read and then open it up again. Uh, this is Bill Porter in regards to the perception of a self being a life and a, or a soul. He says, in chapter 4, the Buddha brought up the subject of these four manifestations of self and warned against becoming attached to any sanjna perception associated with their nimitta appearance. Here he warns against attachment to dristi views. The difference is that perceptions are much less pernicious and considerably easier to deal with. Hence, the Buddha deals with them at the beginning of the Sutra. Views are perceptions that have become carved into our 
the stone of our minds. Hence, he has waited until now to approach them. In Sanskrit, the word dristi refers not only to what we perceive, but also to what we falsely perceive, our erroneous interpretations of reality. And uh, we can spend a lifetime within that erroneous perceptions of interpretations of reality within our own creation, mental creation, mental formations of reality. And, and, and realizing it is realization. And seeing others do that is the, the, great, the greatest sadness of a bodhisattva. Knowing that this is erroneous in nature, yet knowing that we we deeply attach to that, knowing that there is another way, seeing ourselves or each other, bang our head against the wall and complain that it hurts, is quite sad. Seeing that we create our own reality, we create our own madness, our own suffering, by the way we perceive reality and in that reality everything is included the way people act what people say what they don't say all of it what we see what we don't see so where are you at with that anyone okay so um i was thinking um I was noticing this Major's adorable little dog over there, mm-hmm. and I was just kind of thinking, you know, there's always the does the dog have Buddha nature, but just the just just that that um, uh, the uh, that dog, any dog, any animal has already gotten to where we <laughs> where we're trying to get, so. You know, it occurred to me sometimes, I do sometimes, I try to think of myself as just an animal being, you know, and I just think, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I try to think like a dog or whatever. I just need to feed, um, you know, maybe play once in a while, go to sleep, wake up, just that's it, nothing else. And I think maybe that's what they're getting at here. But then the, the, the problem comes when there's more than one person, you know, we have to live in society and we have to interact with the world. So how do we, I guess the question is, how do we take this no self, no complete non-attachment, just kind of going along totally in the moment and then also build a society that functions or a family or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, a world? Right. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, so uh, watching a dog, right? Um, we say animals are already there, right? But a dog is a dog <coughs> the way a dog needs to be a dog, right? And, and so when you watch a dog, it doesn't mean you have to emulate and then pick up your leg and pee against a tree. That yeah. won't look quite right, right? So you have to be, in the way the dog is to be like a dog and you have to be a human being in the same way that the dog is a dog. Not in the same way that the dog is a dog, but human being as a human being. And that's yeah. our question. What does it mean to be a human being? Or where is the being? Now you say, I'm, I'm thinking about that. That's the first mistake, isn't it? 
I guess so, yeah. So well, because that's about. a perception. That, that is raising a perception. That is, that is creating something, a mental formation, and then trying to fit into that box we call mental formation, right? So I create a box. I call it a life, a being, right? Whatever I call it. And now I try to fit that. I created something fixed and I'm trying, I'm, try, I'm taking what is not fixed, shoving it to, into what is fixed. You Sometimes cannot I be... just try to focus on bodily sensations, you know, yes. like my stomach or, or internal organs, whatever it is, my, you know, my lungs. Yeah. And, I, and that, in my mind, that's, that's, it's not like I'm thinking that I'm a dog now, but I just try to be in the present moment by only focusing on my bodily sensations. Sometimes I try to do that. Yeah, the body is a great vehicle for that. As long as we stay within the aliveness of the body, which is constantly moving and changing, it's just that when we think about the body, we are no longer experiencing the body. What we are experiencing is a thought about the body. Yeah. And that's a perception. So when you listen to another, you say, function together as human beings in society, right? So you listen to another person speak, right? Listening to another person speak, that, that causes thoughts to arise in the mind, right? Yeah. Those thoughts, create, they create mental formations, right? Naturally, those mental formations become rigid, right? When yeah. they're rigid, I am, so I'm listening to you. If I'm listening to you from that, I am not really hearing you. I am hearing what I think about you. Yeah. Right? So, and, that, and that's the question. And to shrink the gap between self and other, takes care of that because those mental formations are not being nurtured. When, mm -hmm. when, when self and other are not two, essentially, not provisionally, when, they are, when we realize that you and I are not, are not dual, then my, the perceptions that arise and vanish, arise and vanish. Mm. Right? And then, and then the attention shifts to what's happening. Now that doesn't, yes, we do get stuck. We get stuck, we all get stuck, right? And we get unstuck. But learning that we get stuck and unstuck, that we can get unstuck, is also learning about others, is understanding others, right? Because when you study your own emotions or your own uh, propensity for creating mental formations and becoming stuck, you study how other people do the same. We're not different. We're not different. When you study your own anger or sadness or longing or whatever it is, right? You study other people as well. Mm. We're all the same. We function in the same way. We are of the same nature, which means we create complications in our own unique ways, but in the same way, right? Essentially. And we can not, attach to, not get attached to our own creations at the same time. So the mechanisms are the same while we appear differently. If I were to really do what the Buddha is saying here, yeah. that, that no attachment to, um, you know, the, uh, yeah, no, no view of self, I guess, no, um, yeah, no view of self. So yeah. that, what that would look like then, I guess you're saying, is that I would just see another person as equally the same as, me or your problems, someone else's problems, 
people suffering. It's all one giant mush or meld of, of, of suffering experience and sensation. Is, is that how we get there? It's not a mush. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and remember, we're not trying to homogenize anything. A web, maybe let's say a giant web of everybody's feelings, sensations, and, and, and experiences. Right, and also everybody triggering everybody. Yeah. We have to remember that, right? Everybody is triggering everybody. It's a given, yeah. right? We, we are triggered, and so when we are triggered, it's, it's an opportunity, isn't it? But the, because it hurts, <clears throat> the first uh, response is to shut down, shut off, or, or walk away, basically. I don't want to hear you, right? Because you are creating that challenge in me, and I don't want to feel this way. So the idea, well, the idea behind it is if I eliminate you from my life, then I don't have to deal with it anymore. Right. That's not true. That's not true, because sooner or later, a new trigger is going to come along. Right? If there's no self, then how do we get, how do we enter into that without a self? Well, that's the point. You know the saying, when you raise a target, you invite an error. Mm -hmm. How do we raise a target? Holding on to a self. That's mm -hmm. the target. When you when we hold on to a fixed sense of self, we invite errors. Error after error after error, and errors hurt. Yeah. It hurts. So walking away to another place doesn't change anything because we walk away with that target. It's kind of mm -hmm. like having a, the target on our forehead. Yeah. Look at me. I am better than, worse than, this, that, whatever. That's the target. Somebody will come along and shoot that target. So what is the Buddha asking of us here? Roshi, can I share or <laughs> please and you can answer Kakuo's question yeah uh, a lot of <laughs> a lot of what Kakuo is saying is like making um uh what came to mind for me um was I was on a long car ride with a friend recently mm -hmm. uh, my friend Steph and we were talking and something that uh something she was sharing about how when she interacts with other people, she feels as if she uh, she disappears. And it's kind of distressing for her for that reason. Um, and as we were talking about it, and I was saying I felt that way before too, I was also saying, you know, we're sitting in this car together mm -hmm. and, um, you know, you're Steph and I'm L, and these are constructs that we've created so that we can talk to each other right now. Mm -hmm. um, but there is also something of me that is not just this right now, that we just, we kind of simplified it or something like that. I wasn't sure exactly how to put it, but it's not that you're Steph and I me. we are all together in this car right now. Mm -hmm. And I think Steph, uh, Steph would have said something like, well, um, do you, do you actually believe that? You know? Um, and my response would have been, um, it, uh, like, I, it's, it's real. It's how it is. Um, 
And when I say it's something like it's simply real, it's not a matter of like a, of a, like Christian faith or belief. Um, and it's not like, oh, I, I prayed hard enough and now I believe that this is real or it is a sign of my own, some kind of uh, inner strength, like, you know, something that was earned that I think this way. Mm -hmm. um, but I think about something that I read from uh, in Zen Mind Beginner's Mind where Suzuki talks about the, um, the minute, like, with delusion, when you start coping with it is when you are in delusion and when you're able to let it be is um, Zen practice. And so when I say that something is just real, if we're talking about, you know, trying to, what is the Buddha asking of us right now? I think the Buddha simply, or, you know, whatever scripture we're talking about, the Diamond Sutra, it simply lays out what is real. And I think that my response to that in this moment is to just let it be. I don't have to move or cope with anything in order to embody it or to practice it. I simply need to let it be. Yes, and thank you. And to let it be is also uh, is is very closely related to be okay with not knowing, right? And uh, because as long as I insist on that, no, I gotta know, I gotta know. I am I am looking at life from a very fixed position, right? And to be okay with and not knowing is is not a problem. It's not anything. It's just life. It's just reality, right? As long as we we hold on to we have to know. I have to know, right? Because if I don't know, I'm lost, right? And lost is not good, right? Those are the fixed perceptions. Those are the ideas. Right, and if we, if we look at life like that, then we are actually we, we feel we cannot be at ease. But when we are okay with not knowing, we are okay with not fortifying the perception of reality. Without we are okay with not feeding, nurturing, and holding on to that percept to those perceptions. So a thought appears in the mind. Somebody says something, or somebody writes something, whatever we encounter. Right, and this is what you were talking about, Kaku. Then, then immediately, right, simultaneously, thoughts appear in the mind, and the thoughts are very powerful. They're very strong, and they have a lot to say. How can she say this? How can he say that? How can he do or not do or whatever? Right, uh, and so that's what arises in the mind. Is that a problem? Is that anything more than that? Does it have to be anything more than that? Is that telling me what is happening, right? As long as I think that this is telling me what's happening, then I'm going to react to that. Or I'm going to react to what I hear based on that thought or those thoughts. But if I understand that those thoughts are not really representing reality, they're just, the mind falls a lot, if you haven't noticed yet. And, you know, and, you know, sometimes it doesn't smell so good, but it doesn't mean that this is a, a great way to understand reality. It's just the mind does what the mind does, the thinking mind. It is very erratic. It is, it is very uh, triggered, easily triggered, and uh, also very karmic in its nature. There's a lot there, right? But we, and we have to understand that that's how it works. 
Knowing how it works, knowing that that's what it does, we again and again shift the attention from thought to reality, from wanting to know to being okay with not knowing. That's the process. That's what the Buddha is not asking anything. We are asking this of ourselves. Why? Because we are that. Because the wisdom in you is asking you to be in alignment with it. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. To see it as a story. It's just a story. Yeah, it may be a very interesting story, right? But it's the story of Kakuo. Yeah. Actually, maybe. How about how about it's the story of David and and yes. Kaku has something else in mind. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, anyone? Yeah, yeah, Major, go ahead. So, as I'm listening here, and you say like we create our own reality mm-hmm. and we create our own madness, um, comes to my mind how sometimes. At certain times, uh, someone can say something and um, it doesn't affect me. And then somebody, and, and because maybe I just finished my sitting, maybe I'm in a good place, maybe I'm comfortable, it doesn't affect me. And then there'll be another time where I'm not feeling too good or I'm not well rested or I'm not too happy about what's going on in my life. And somebody would say the same thing. And then all of a sudden it triggers me. So I'm, you know, I'm connecting that we create our own um, madness and our own realities. Sometimes it depends on what you're saying, our perception, if we are in a good place or if we're not in a good place. Um, we, um, we have the tendency to hear things or to understand things differently. Mm-hmm. And I realized that when people are speaking and I don't agree with what they're saying or it doesn't, it doesn't make sense in my life at that time or at that moment, um, it's because a lot of times they're speaking about where they're at, uh, what's going on in their lives, how they're feeling, how they were programmed, you know, um, the things that they were taught and the history that, uh, you know, that they have in their own lives through experiences and stuff. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I can honestly say that, that um, that happens often with my boyfriend and I, when he talks about something and he's very passionate about it, I just look at him and listen and I respect his views and I understand him where he's coming from because of his experiences, but I don't agree with it. And it's just for me to realize that, that people speak from their own life experiences and what they're going through and how they were programmed that, you know, um, I don't have to, you know, accept it or agree with everything and I can be okay with uh, agreeing to disagree. And that actually has helped me a lot because Mm -hmm. I used to run with it. I used to like try to convince this person that they were wrong and they were wrong for feeling the way that they're feeling and all this stuff. I tried mm-hmm. and that, that didn't work because they're fixed in their ways mm-hmm. uh, at the mm-hmm. moment. This is how, what, what they think. This is how they feel. Mm-hmm. And this is what's showing up for them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I realized when someone tried to do that to me, when somebody had a certain view 
a certain way they, you know, they express themselves or something they believed in so strongly that they wanted to convince me that what I was, um, the way I was showing up or what my belief system was, was wrong. Mm -hmm. And their belief system was the correct one, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I realized how I felt. Somebody trying to change my mind and trying to make me feel like what I was, what I was living, what, what my reality was, was wrong. Mm -hmm. Your reality is wrong and I'm right. And, you know, and then I realized, okay, you know, everybody's going to express themselves and believe and speak and show up according to their belief system and the way they were programmed until they learn something different, until they're ready yeah. to make changes on their own. You can't really make other people change. And and that kind of like what helped me as far as like you say, yeah, you, we, are, we are creating our own reality with our thoughts mm -hmm. and we are creating our own madness sometimes trying to, to understand someone when it's very difficult to understand someone if you haven't had the experiences they've had. I mean, you can show compassion and and um, empathy and everything for, for their experience, for their pain, for their suffering, mm -hmm. but you really don't know what, it, what they're feeling, what it's like, because you haven't experienced that. Mm -hmm. So that kind of helped me to put my own thoughts and my own uh, way of thinking into perspective. Yeah, thank so, you, thank you for that. Uh, what you, what's important in that also is to recognize that uh, uh, one set of ideas is meeting another set of ideas. It's not really two people meeting and interacting and communicating. It's just one clump of ideas meeting another clump of ideas, and then there is often collisions of ideas, right? And then you know the more attached we are to our ideas the greater the collision is and the conflict, right? But, okay, so, so and this is just the way it works. This is the way we work, right? These are the way, the way that, that karma manifests. And uh, if we understand that and we loosen up that grip, that, the, 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 the attachment to our own karma, our own conditioning, even a little bit, that's already creating some sense of flow. And then maybe the collision will not be as harsh or maybe we will find a way to flow rather than get stuck in that collision point, right? So interactions often are charged because of that, because it's not really two people interacting. It's just one set of ideas interacting with another set of ideas. There's no, there are no people there. And, uh, and, that's, and that's what we have to work with. We have to find that flow, that energy, that dynamic self, or dynamic essence while and it has to be on the go we can't wait for the conditionings to subside because they're not going to subside we are conditioned heavily conditioned we have to recognize that and stop waiting for all those conditionings to disappear we are going to get triggered because we are conditioned at the time we get triggered that's the time we have to loosen up the grip because if we don't loosen up the grip we're actually tightening up the grip. Meaning if we don't bring the intention to loosen up at the moment we encounter our own conditioning, the natural tendency will be to tighten our grip. Because that's how we find some sense of stability and recognize for, for ourselves, this is, it, sounds, it feels like I am getting in touch with who I am because I know myself based on what I know about myself. 
right? My thoughts about myself create me. So what, what you said, what the Buddha is asking, what we're asking is to let go of that. Or at least, if not let go, at least not fortify it, at least not feed it and nurture it further. At least not that. And that is, I think, extremely helpful. Every time we are able to not give into it, to not give it nurturing or food by not speaking it, by not acting it out, then it loses momentum. It loses its power over us. Right? So, um, if you have thoughts about it, hold it. I want to read a few words from Hui Neng and then uh, we can open it up again. So Hui Neng, the Tathagata speaks this sutra so that all beings will themselves realize the wisdom of prajna and themselves cultivate the fruit of enlightenment. Themselves. You. Only you can do that. Foolish people don't understand the Buddha's meaning and think that Tathagata is talking about the view of a self or a soul unaware that Tathagata is teaching the profound, formless, conditionless paramita of prajna. When the Tathagata talks about the view of a self or a soul, it isn't the same as the views that foolish people have of a self or a soul. The Tathagata says that all beings have Buddha nature. This is the view of a true self. And he says that all beings possess wisdom uncontaminated by passion and a nature that is already complete. This is the view of a soul. He says that all beings are themselves already free of afflictions. This is the view of a being. And he says that the nature of all beings possess, sorry, that the nature all beings possess is neither created nor destroyed. This is his view of a life. This is very important, what what, uh, Huineng says here. These are very powerful words that point directly to the true meaning of negation or emptiness, which often we find difficulty uh, uh, understanding what that means, or at least not connecting with. Uh, the negation of emptiness is a complete and total affirmation of life in all its manifestations, all of it, including our conditionings, you know, including the way we desecrate. It is pointing at the way things are by nature rather than the way we perceive them to be. Right? So, what it's pointing at, it's not that we have to let go of a being, but we have to let go, or not let go, we have to maybe just get in touch with the way we create something. We create the formation, the mental formations, right? And then we think, well, I have to let go of myself, but what about this? I, can, I don't want to let go of this. Well, nobody's asking anybody to let go of anything, right? It's just what we have to do is see it, in the way it is, not through the lens of our perceptions. So, so the, the analogy of walking around with, a, with paint buckets, right? And then painting reality in green. Well, it's green. Can't you see it's green? Well, yes, I painted green. It's green. Of course it's green. 
I'm painting it green. I don't even know that I'm painting it green. So the first step is to become aware of the fact that I am painting your words. I am I'm actually uh, translating your words to the language that I created in a way. Right? It's like I have a headset, a headphone, and it all automatically translates whatever I hear to my personal story, the language of my personal story. And that's what I hear, obviously, because that is automatic, that mechanism. But what if we put it down or we take off the glasses or we take off the headset and we hear reality raw as it is? Well, I don't know. I don't know what that means. You're saying whatever you're saying. Well, I'm going to listen and I'm going to connect. What, is, what am I not hearing? What am I not hearing? Is the, that's the gateway. I know what I think I'm hearing. Fine. But what am I not hearing? What am I not seeing here? I can't walk around thinking I know what I see, I know what I hear. Because I'm not in alignment with reality as long as I'm saying that. Well, how can I know? I've never been here before. I never heard you before. But I heard I'm hearing a perception of, what I, of you which is fixed in my mind. And that is, of course, it is fixed in my mind because it's attached, it's attached itself to the conditioning or to the karma that I brought with me to this moment. That's the mechanism that we have to get in touch with. All of us, everybody is, is, is dealing with it to some extent. And there's a lot of freedom there. If we, under, if we understand how the mechanisms work, we actually can experience freedom while being within that. Meaning it's still going to work. It's going to subside when it subsides. And then it's going to pick up momentum when it pick up, picks up momentum. But we can still experience freedom by again and again turning the attention away from the conditioning to the rawness of reality, to not knowing. That's really the bottom line. Again and again, turning towards not knowing. So, anyone? Yes, Segyoku. Now I see you. Yes, Janryu, I see you too. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Well, I have two different things to say. Um, one is for me, I think there's a deep belief somewhere in this thing that I can be hurt and it's natural not to want to be hurt because it doesn't feel good, mm-hmm. but below that, not wanting to not feel good, not wanting to feel the pain of being hurt. I'm um, working with the idea that uh, there's a deep belief that I can be damaged, which is different from being hurt. Mm -hmm. It means destroyed, harmed. Mm -hmm. uh, And um, so uh, there's a whole structure that um, 
there's a deep lack of trust mm -hmm. that um deep lack of trust and that the work i'm trying to do now it is to do whatever i can find to do to just support more trust first beginning with trust in myself in my own experience that it is okay for me to experience whatever i experience and i do believe that whatever i can heal in myself will naturally be extended towards others mm -hmm. uh, i'll have more tolerance for others and um as Major said, uh, for their views that I react strongly to, mm -hmm. uh, they won't be so threatening to me. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing, and I will relate a little anecdote about that, about Rezan, if he doesn't mind, but he doesn't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> so, uh, so when we used to be members at the former Zendo, uh, Zen Garland, um, Raison was at a different stage in his life and uh, his personality seemed more constrained, more tight than you would know him now. And um, it was something I could see because I knew him so well and his interactions often seemed stiff and in a way distant. And uh, suddenly, and particularly maybe with one person, but many people too and suddenly i noticed there was a change and he was relating to people differently mm -hmm. talking to them differently and i pointed this out to him and he agreed and i said well what happened and he said to me um i thought i could be hurt in a way i no longer think i can be hurt mm -hmm. <laughs> just so amazing i can't even believe it that that's possible so um, the other thing I have to say is much less emotional, and that is about this. We were driving to Connecticut uh, yesterday listening to Radio Lab on the radio, and uh, the theme of the show was what kind of protest, when is protest effective, uh, you know, out in the world like Black Lives Matter, and when is it ineffective, mm -hmm. and what makes the difference? And um, this was about the AIDS crisis when uh, people were dying of AIDS in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, and uh, there weren't treatments and um, the group ACT UP was formed and they started doing all these different kinds of protests. And um, so uh, Anthony Fauci was had the same job he had now at NIH, and he thought there needed to be more attention paid to AIDS and more research into it. And uh, and that started to happen. Uh, but the people in ACT, ACT UP began to feel that it was the wrong sort of research, that they weren't included, their opinions weren't noticed. And um, they started doing these things that most people would find horrible if they were on the receiving end of it. They wrote this letter to Anthony Fauci telling him basically what a shit he was and saying the most horrible things about him and that they wished he would die and going on and on and on. Murderer. 
oh, you, they called him a murderer. You are a murderer. And um, Anthony Fauci didn't take it personally. And it's like unbelievable. And uh, he, he was on the show and um, he said, well, I thought if they're writing things to me like this, what is it that they're so angry about that I'm missing? Mm-hmm. And uh, he called up the head of the group and said, what's this about? And uh, had him come down and they talked about it. And uh, he started listening to them, having dinners with them, talking about strategy and um, agreed with a lot of they was what they were saying, but they, he couldn't implement it at NIH because of the other people there. Mm-hmm. So they staged this other huge protest in which they have thousands of people come to NIH and have this huge demonstration. They have Anthony Fauci's head on a pole mm-hmm. with blood dripping out. And he's looking out the window watching this and um, Finally, the head of the group uh, climbs up on top of this roof and the police are there and pull him down and they're taking him through the building to a squad car. They're arresting him and Anthony Fauci comes down and they're friends and they talk to each other. And the guy says, hi, Tony, what are you doing here? And Tony says, hi, Peter, I'm trying to work under these conditions. And um, what are you doing here? And he said, well, they're arresting me. And he said, okay, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And um, they work it out. The protest was about trying to get the other people at NIH to listen to Anthony Fauci and to take the research in a different direction. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry for being so long winded, but um, that's what I have to say. That was somebody who was able to do that mm-hmm. and make a big difference. Right. Thank you. And you're saying, how is that possible? Or you're happy to see that it's possible, whether it's Raison or Fauci, right? I see how it's possible. And uh, within myself, it's a massive column. Well, that's, and the point in that, obviously, has to do with uh, how tightly are we attached to who we think we are, who we think we're not. Right, and how it comes down to that, right? When we loosen up the grip of me, when I loosen up the grip of me, and I'm I'm okay with not knowing who I am, then that becomes possible. But not only possible, it becomes the only way you function. It's not even that you well should I be attaching or should I be letting go. It's not even that. It's just like well, why would you do this? Right? Why would you? Why would you do something that you know is inflicting more pain than you think you're in? Right? Because it, the thing with that, it is not just healing you. When we realize that we, as a separate sense of existence, or separate existence, do not exist that way, then we realize that we are one with all things, right? So, and it's not, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but, uh, but it's not, it's real. And when we realize that, then, you, you know, we drop away and everybody's included immediately. When I drop away, you show up. 
the you as you are show up. So what does that mean? So if I drop away and I listen to you, I hear the you that you are not hearing or you're not seeing, right? I see the you before you, even if you say words that are representing conditioning, still, if I drop away, that drops away too. The words of you describing the you, the created you, right? The perception-based you. But I, I have the ability, because if I drop away, then I'm seeing you because I'm seeing me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I'm seeing you because I'm seeing me. We, we, we say that, right? We say uh, Buddha bows to Buddha, recognizes Buddha, Buddha bows to Buddha. And then, and then you know what happens? Then we have unlimited capacity for patience. Then patience is endless. Because who are you going to reject? There's nothing there to reject. Right? And, um, and that could be healing too for everybody, right? Because if, 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 if I drop away, body and mind drop away, perceptions of me drop away, then what do we broadcast to the world? Right? What kind of energy do we broadcast to the world? And if I walk around with a fixed, rigid sense of me as a target, what do I broadcast to the world? What kind of messages am I sharing with the world? So that's what that means. And that's where the, the great responsibility of a human being comes in. Kakuo versus a dog, right? <laughs> so, so, so for us to be a human being is a much greater responsibility than for a dog to be a dog. But if we think like a dog, we're doing well. <laughs> well, again, how far are you going to go with that? <laughs> uh, but yes, if we, if we think as a human being in the same way that a dog is a dog, yes. That, uh, that's true. Very true. Um, just a, something really quick. Yes. They, even though they're dogs and, and in the present, they feel jealousy. They fight with each other. There you go. They steal food from each other. They do a lot of things that we often humans do as well. So, yeah. So they, they're not always good. They, sometimes they misbehave as well. Right. And they choose who they like and who they don't like as well. So, but yeah. they don't ruminate about it. They don't. They don't worry about. It. No, no, they no don't. Reason. They just do what they do. You know, it reminds me. Uh, uh, so many years ago, I um, I was I was in Australia. I was traveling, and uh, we were traveling there. We got to this farm, and uh, we saw a dog, a three-legged dog, <clears throat> uh, was missing the one of the front legs. Um, and I talked to the guy who owned the farm and I said, you know, and, and he said, yeah, it just, you know, it just happened. I think maybe a couple, three weeks before we got there, uh, the leg, you know, there was a problem with the leg and it had to be amputated. And the dog was running around on three legs, very happily wiggling the tail with the other dogs and, you know, not looking as like, wow, you know, I lost one there, four, I have three, you know, that's terrible. And, you know, there's none of that, none of that, right? You know, very quickly adjusting to functioning with three legs uh, w- without holding on to the notion of something is missing. So, no so, but because three legs are not worse than four legs. Yes, for us, looking at it through the eyes of a human, that's terrible. 
right? It's a terrible thing when we see that from the eyes of a human being conditioned and attached. But, but as, as, as a dog, as a being that runs around with three legs versus four legs, is not worse. It's not less. So three is not less than four. But that doesn't make sense, right? The logical mind or conditioned mind, three is less than four, and four is more than, four is better. Right? Vince. Yeah, and I think I was talking to my friend last night because she was uh, struggling with some college stuff and she was like thinking about how um, like, oh, maybe, you know, I won't graduate on time and this and that. And and kind of the idea of being whole came about. I think that kind of relates to the dog with three legs because the dog was whole when it had four legs and it was whole when it had three legs and there is no difference. It's just at this point, um, you know, the dog has three legs and in that sense, every moment it is whole mm-hmm. and there is no such thing as, as less than for, for the dog. Um, and same thing goes with like humans. And I kind of told her that I was like, listen, like just because you had a struggling day today doesn't make you any less whole, you know, just, and tomorrow you might have a better day and that doesn't make you even more whole or whatever. Right. Yes. And so it kind of reminded me of, um, the, the like, the idea that we have with, I think, animals is that like animals, I think, at least what we what we appreciate from them is that they come to the moment as it as as that whole mm-hmm. all the time, every single step of the way. And and that is what we admire, because it's not that we want to be like the dog, because, you know, the it's not that dogs are not jealous, kind of like Major was saying. It's not that dogs are perfect and they don't fight and and whatever. That's not part of it. It's the part of when you meet not knowing mm-hmm. as as that. Like when you don't believe that you know already mm-hmm. is really the issue. Because not knowing is what's scary, sure. And we're always like, oh, we don't know and whatever. And that's something that we're scared of. Mm-hmm. But when we think we know is actually scarier because that's when we meet moments as if we're supposed to know yeah. and when things don't go the way that they're supposed to go, then we think we're less whole. And so it's kind of just like meeting each moment. I think, I think my dad told me this one, one, a couple of years ago and, and I was kind of shocked by the idea. It's like meeting each moment as if it was the first time, even if it's, if it feels rep- like repeating because it is always, a new moment, mm-hmm. just like you are always whole in each moment. Mm-hmm. And so kind of like, you know, when someone might do something that you already told them about, I, I have a roommate who always asks me if I want to eat, eat fish with her. She's always like, Oh, I made like tuna salad. Do you want some? And I don't like seafood. And I've always told her that. And I've always found it really funny because I'm like, well, I don't like seafood and I've lived with you for two years and I've told you this. And she's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I forgot. And like, at, in the beginning of that moment when she would always be like, oh, you want, you know, I made fish, do you want some? And I'd be like, no, I don't like seafood. Like each moment that like that happened in the beginning, I would always be like kind of angry because I was like, she's not paying attention to me. She doesn't care, whatever, right? And like, you know, whether that's true or not is really irrelevant because um, the point isn't that like if she cared or doesn't care, it's that regardless, she's going to continue to ask me if I want food whenever she makes fish, mm-hmm. right? or seafood and I will continuously have to say without any anger and I think that's the, the, the thing is that it's not about like how I react to it 
you know, for her sake, as much as it is about for my sake, mm -hmm. to just naturally say the as if it was the first time that I introduced this concept. Mm -hmm. Oh no, thank you. I don't like seafood, and then move on, right? And so I think that's the point of what being a dog is: is not don't be jealous, don't be angry. It's just be without thinking that you know more, you know less. You just mm -hmm. you're there. Yeah. So. Thank you. We call this travel light. Right? When you travel light, you don't carry anything. You don't need to carry anything. You don't need to carry around your thoughts and views or anything else. You just walk around. So, uh, I want to see if anybody else wants to speak. Just three things I want to quickly read and then we open it up to wrap it up. Asanga says, uh, views and no views are useless grabs at nothing. Useless grabs at nothing. Though they form a subtle screen, True knowledge sees right through. And this is to the eyes of the eye of a Buddha or the third eye, right? You see right through that. You actually see right through um, your own conditionings and the conditionings of others. Shengi, uh, the Lankavatara Sutra says, the view of views is the cause of ignorance. No view of views is nirvana. The view of views is putting one head on top of another, which is the cause of ignorance. And as you know from the Shinjin Mei, instead of seeking the truth, just put aside all opinions. Instead of looking for what is right and what is wrong, drop away completely. And everything is right. Because there's no wrong, as opposed to right. So, did anybody raise the hand before uh, or wants to say something now? Yes, Enkai. Thank you. Um, I think that even what you're bringing up now is all very connected and, you know, a very strong stream from what you asked at the beginning of this book study was the, or the beginning of today was, um, you know, when you see someone hitting their head against a wall and then complaining that it hurts or in a case that I've had to deal with this past week, um, someone who's gone around uh, kicking the dog and then wondering why the dog cowers when they walk by. Um, and uh, I, was, I was very disturbed and disgusted by the behavior of this person. Um, that was the, what was arising in me. And then the way I ended up responding to this person was to to let them know how they made others feel and then to ask why, you know, there's clearly as like, there's clearly some misunderstanding. And so in showing up with that, not knowing, because it's very easy. And this is something that I've been looking at um, recently and trying to sense the subtle difference or the profound difference, subtle, profound, subtle difference um, of when you see someone behaving in a certain way and it's very easy to jump to conclusions and to cycle psychoanalyze someone and go like try to figure out why they're thinking the way they're thinking mm -hmm. versus when you can see like you were saying just see straight past the conditioning because um, you can then also connect where you're like yeah well if i experienced what they had experienced i would be behaving in the same way too mm -hmm. um and so the the difference between rationalizing and coming to a, some sort of logical conclusion that can make you feel better that is connected with self-righteousness 
versus um the and this is where sometimes i'm like i don't know am i am i actually seeing through the conditioning and just seeing their like you know their true self or am i am i jumping to conclusions about some sort of psychoanalysis mm-hmm. um but i have to say that the the asking the why the way that person responded was very um healing i think in that moment and has opened up a lot more um and the i don't think you know the conversation is still open in a way that if I had not started off my email mm-hmm. <laughs> with a why, mm-hmm. I think uh, things would be very different. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And then I guess maybe the when someone's hitting their head against the wall, you can't go up and lecture them. In most cases, that's not the skillful, you know, thing mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. But um, when to bear witness and then in that moment right there's that is that so Mm -hmm. because then you can say you can just respond with is that so not saying that oh i know the real answer Mm -hmm. but just to ask them that question is that so um and then they will find their realization on their own because you can't convince people in in most circumstances Mm -hmm. no right that's true because it can actually uh, uh, create a further trigger or more triggers that will fortify that activity or that behavior that will make that behavior even worse so yes that's not gonna but the, so the question is what's the right upaya at that moment so you said uh to open it up with to open up the question right rather than to respond to something fixed with something fixed to respond to something fixed with something open or with an openness which allows it to be but also questions the the origins of it right you're not rejecting it but you're not adding wood to the fire so thank you uh Rajan wanted to say something and then Sogan and then we're gonna wrap it up because it's uh it's time go ahead um I think you just said that it just reminded me of, I went to this demonstration a week ago about um, uh, anti-Asian hate and um, people were saying various things and there were lots of politicians talking. And then <clears throat> this other woman and group of people entered into the area where this was taking place and and she had a different view. Mm-hmm. Um, one view was um, education was the way to overcome hate, and the other view was institutional change had to overcome hate, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so she came in, she had her own megaphone, she was making noise. Um, and what was amazing to me was that this group, which was organized against hate, very quickly started expressing this tremendous hate against this woman who was interrupting their demonstration, right? That they, um, they were there, you know, for peace for all people. But very quickly, when this person came in to interrupt their what they thought they should be doing, mm-hmm. and soon this crowd of people began yelling at this woman and pushing her. And I was just amazed that um, people, um, you know, who um, on the surface were doing one thing. So I guess I, I got to this place because. Um, um, people are um, 
there's much more depth and a uh, lot, so much more going on beneath the surface, which I guess is what Enkya was, was saying, that mm -hmm. um, there's so much happening beneath the surface that we don't have any access to, mm -hmm. uh, and it can flare up so much out of control without little warning, yeah. uh, as you've yeah. been saying, John Rio, about triggering, mm -hmm. um, that to, um, to move through the world can often become instantly much more adventurous than what Sayoko was saying before, mm -hmm. uh, dangerous. Yeah. Uh, that, um, you know, we kind of think where everything is out there and all of a sudden it can erupt into something very different. Mm -hmm. um, that's all. Thank you. So again. Morning, everyone. Um, I uh, actually just an interesting reference because they were talking about the subtle screen and the ideas um, we were sharing this morning reminded me of a uh, there's an Austrian philosopher called Karl Popper who has a three world hypothesis where he talks about there's one world of our perceptions and objects a second world of mental formations and a third world where the mental formations and perceptions act upon the the world one of of objects and perceptions. Mm -hmm. So it, it just it seemed really similar to me um, the way the sutra is dealing with that and saying you need to move from world three to world one, which is the direct perception of the objects, and and not live in a kind of like you said the subtle screen of. Mm -hmm. of the 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 world that as perceived through that the film of of our mental perception mm -hmm. creations mm -hmm. so it's it's interesting to me that that people have had this sort of i mean he, he had no uh, expo exposure to buddhism he's actually a philosopher of science mm -hmm. so it's kind of interesting that people have come to this kind of schema independently mm -hmm. so um, and I don't think he takes it as far as as you would in the Buddhist context, but mm -hmm. but it's it's a, it's a helpful way to think about it. I think. Mm -hmm. So yeah, thank you. Well, uh, you don't have to be a Buddhist to be a Buddhist, right? Or you don't have to. It has nothing to do with Buddhism or what we call Buddhism. What we're talking about is is reality, and reality does not have groups in it. Right, it includes everything. So yes, it's, you know, it's, we are all on the same mountain. We can climb. Uh, we can on different paths, uh, but we are all on the same mountain. You know, the the truth is just the truth. Right, we can paint it, and then, essentially, when we stop painting it, it's always been this way. But uh, so one thing I, I want to add to that is that the, none of it is, is encouraging a suppression of any kind, right? We're not asked to suppress, we're not asked to go against, but we are asked to explore uh, beyond the, the immediate thinking, right? Immediately, I think, oh, I know what I hear, I know what I see. That's the immediate reaction, uh, or the immediate way in which we, we interact with reality or what we feel. And what we're asked to do is examine that. Is that really true? Or is it really uh, representing reality as it is? Or just my thoughts of it, or my mental formations about it, right? So no suppression, no rejection. 
investigation, constant and thorough, uh, uh, continuous investigation. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that's not really what's going on. Or I may be wrong. Right? I may be wrong. So that may be enough. Thank you. We will continue. We have one more chapter and I'm glad we spent all this time on this chapter. So next time we meet uh, for the Diamond Sutra, we will work with the last chapter. Uh, and uh, I, will, I will send an email about that. But uh, what we'd like to do is get your input about uh, the entire Diamond Sutra study and uh, what you feel about it after having gone through all the chapters. Uh, so uh, that will be the next time we we have a book study. So thank you.